2: Sports Radio, 92.9 The Game. It is the John Chukri Show coming in live on this Thursday evening as, well, it looks to be a busy offseason uh, in the NBA. Several moves already, and of course the Hawks in the middle of all of that is uh, one of their starting pieces. John Collins you know, finally rumored, uh, you know, more than just rumor, but finally uh, traded after probably about four years worth of uh, rumor and innuendo uh, on it. Let's go out to the waitfor.com hotline. Let's talk to Ben Ladner. He is the Basketball writer, analyst for fansided.com. You can follow Ben on his personal Twitter page at bladner underscore. Ben, as always, buddy, appreciate it, man. Thanks for a few minutes on the show this evening.
0: Absolutely. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me.
2: So I believe you're an Atlanta guy, right? So um, what did you make of the, I guess, promotion of Nick Ressler today where he's going to be, I guess, a direct advisor to Tony Ressler Himself, I mean, how much more influence does this create? Do you think for Nick Wrestler within this organization?
0: Well, I mean, it, it certainly would suggest a, a larger amount of influence and a, and a louder voice in the room. I mean, not, not that he didn't have that already, probably because his father is the owner. But now to kind of officialize that relationship and, and give him that official kind of right hand seat um, to the most powerful person in the organization, which of course is for any organization, that's the owner. Um, so, you know, I, I know that a lot of Hawks fans and even non-Hawks fans have kind of speculated about uh, there have been calls of nepotism and, and potential, um, you know, maybe shadiness with his rise through the Hawks organization in recent years. I think that's a fair connection to make. I, I honestly don't know that we know enough about a Nick Wrestler as a decision maker, as a basketball mind at this point, to make heads or tails of whether these are uh, merit-based decisions or not. Um, it seems likely that this that that his relationship with the Hunter had at least something to do with this and uh, you know you would think that that would make him probably the second loudest voice in the organization behind his father and obviously there's been some some shakeups in the front office in recent years with Travis Schlenk uh, moving out of his general manager role there's been some turmoil some some rumors and, and kind of hard to pin down exactly what's going on there um, but this is definitely going to be something to watch not only this season but beyond and, and crucially coming into free agency here, and we'll kind of see how the Hawks uh, decide to, to structure their roster around Trey Young in this core this offseason. It's a really pivotal offseason for Atlanta if they want to try to vault themselves in championship contention or at least get closer to that. And so, that, you know, this is a he, – he's kind of stepping into the hot seat here in a way where, you know, he's, he's getting this promotion and it's, it's a positive career move for him, but now he's going to have to back it up with, um, you know, the, his decisions and, and actually doing well on the job.
2: Ben, do you think that Landry Fields has the loudest voice in the room? I mean, I, look, I, I believe that whether it's Nick Wrestler, whether it's Quinn Snyder, I mean, look, he didn't take this job just to come in and have no say over personnel. That was I, I talked to everybody in the Utah organization. They all said the same thing. He wanted a say in personnel. So when you hear these things, I understand maybe Landry Fields kind of has the final voice, but do you think he has the loudest voice in the room?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, it's it's hard to say without without knowing. I always kind of fall back on the owner being the loudest voice in the room, or at least the most powerful. I, you know, I, I suppose it is possible that, that Landry Fields is kind of like the, the primary driver of the conversations that go on and, and ultimately the person who brings decisions to the table to then be signed off on by Tony Ressler, the owner, but um, it, it's hard to say, and especially with all of the cloudiness and the murkiness uh, that's gone on and all of the different reports we're hearing about Nick Ressler and his amount of influence versus Travis Schlenk and now Landry Fields in the same role. It, it, it's been really difficult to kind of figure out. It, it's not like the Spurs, for instance, where you kind of know that, okay, R.C. Buford was in charge for a really long time, and Greg Popovich, and those were the primary decision makers. Those were the principal voices. And then everyone else kind of fell in line beyond, behind that. It, this is a little bit more of a, a a murkier situation, and it's just kind of harder to say with any certainty.
2: Ben Ladner, basketball writer for fansided.com, joining me on the com hotline. What did you make of the John Collins trade? Did you think it was just a salary dump? Is the next move the move that helps build the team? Is this something that was expected? I mean, kind of give me your thoughts about what you thought about the John Collins deal.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of it was, Salary-related, obviously he's under a long-term contract um, that, that will, you know, he'll, he'll be playing on that deal for a long time at a really high annual or average annual value. And, and I think for the Hawks, you know, they, from their perspective, I can see how they might convince themselves that they've had John Collins for a long time, The John Collins-Trey Young pairing has been really good, but it's never quite been good enough to get them over the top. And, and Collins has been increasingly marginalized over the last few years since Trey Young really took the reins of the offense. And so it could kind of be a mutually beneficial thing in a lot of ways where the the Hawks are – like, John Collins does not have the room in the Hawks' offensive environment to live up to the money that they're paying him and that they invested in him. And from his perspective, it's like now he gets to break free of that environment play in a different context and potentially play with some more freedom. So I think from the Hawks' perspective, it was largely about not only getting off of his money but then giving themselves flexibility to potentially – Spend that money elsewhere. I mean, it's not an exact one-for-one equivalent in terms of like now they're going to have the exact amount of John Collins' contract to spend, but they will free themselves up a little bit financially. And the the next shoe to drop will be how they spend that money that they've now created for themselves. And then I think from John Collins' perspective, you know, this is a needed change for him. Obviously, his his name has been on the trade block for you know it feels like two decades at this point, like his entire career in Atlanta and. You know, I think for him, he's probably glad to be in a situation now where there's a little bit less defined of an offensive hierarchy, and so he might have a little bit more freedom. I think he's a really good offensive big man, and I think, obviously, we know him as a role man and, a, and a, at times kind of a pick-and-pop, four-five or combo big man, but, but I actually think he can do a lot offensively and, and fit into a lot of different contexts and be used in a lot of different roles, and so I'm actually really excited to see how the Jazz use him and maybe what else he has to unlock in his game.
2: Do you think that there is another move coming of a player that leaves this roster, whether it's Capella or DeAndre Hunter or Bogey or DeJounte, do you think that another move uh, from what this core roster is, is coming and, and, you know, there's still going to be change to it?
0: Yeah. Well, I think the fact that all four of the guys you mentioned there feel like realistic candidates to be moved probably points me to saying yes to that question. It, it feels like, This team was a little disappointed in itself last year. It was, I think, a little disappointing from the outside, too, for them to be basically a smack dab in the middle, average NBA team. I think they had higher aspirations than that when they made the DeJounte Murray trade. And so I think, you know, fairly or not, there has to be a move to come here. Capella is an obvious choice because he's an aging center who's losing a little bit of his athleticism, which is kind of what makes him special as a rim protector and role man. And you have Nyeko Kongu coming in behind him, and he seems be ready now to lock down that starting role. DeAndre Hunter obviously hasn't lived up to that number four pick billing that, and I think the expectations that came with that early in his career. Dejounte Murray was, I thought, good last year for Atlanta, but maybe you want a little bit more offensive punch than him, and he is on that big contract, and they're going to have to make a decision about paying him uh, long, even longer term, pretty soon. And, and Bogey, obviously, same situation with the the contract, and, and just maybe trying to free up some flexibility there at a position where they already have. Uh, some skill and some shooting. I, I think of the four guys that you mentioned, Capella feels like the most likely to me to get moved, if only because some of the other guys, like Hunter especially, is just on a contract that I don't know that many people want around the NBA. And so he might be harder to move and they might actually be stuck with him more than they decide to keep him. But it does feel like one of those four guys, or maybe even someone else, could be the next guy out of Atlanta in this attempt to revamp the roster and build a real contender around what it has.
2: Ben Ladner, NBA writer from Fansided.com, joining me on the WaitForIt.com hotline. Let's bounce around the league a little bit. Um, I saw James Harden opted into his almost $36 million deal, and now the you know 76ers are going to start looking to deal him. Can I ask, I, I, again, I, you're the expert, I'm the dummy. At what point do teams stop paying $40 million for James Harden to be just a very average basketball team? Like, does there ever become a point where I know he's a great player and this, that, and the other, but nobody wins with him? And at some point, can my money be spent better elsewhere than a $40 million guy who all he does is come into your organization and they don't go anywhere?
0: Yeah, it's a fair question. I've been kind of turning that over in my own head recently, especially coming off of, of Philadelphia's disappointing playoff loss and the way he just didn't show up in a lot of those games. I mean, he just, it's so strange with him in the playoffs, and we don't necessarily need to relitigate that, but just some of the no shows he's had in the postseason, like, I don't think you can just chalk that up to variance anymore. I think this is a real thing that, you know, whether it's because his game just doesn't scale very well in the playoffs compared to the regular season, or there's something mental that he has trouble getting past in the playoffs, whatever it is, this is a thing now. And, For teams with real playoff aspirations, I think it's reasonable to look at James Harden, especially on that contract, and to say, why would we want any part of that? I think the kind of team that could like, I saw he was linked with the Clippers as a potential landing spot, and they might,
2: you know, try to,
0: yeah, yeah, and and so, like, that feels like maybe the kind of team that could use him, like, as the third guy to come in and solidify the offense and maybe take the ball out of of the the two-star's hands a little bit more and allow them to play off the ball that sort of thing. I mean, that's, again, that's all theoretical. I mean, it's always – Harden is in a weird point in his career, too, because he's a guy that for a long time was just an elite on-ball player, but I think the limitation of his game was that he can really only play on the ball. But for a long time he was so good at it that it was okay, you could justify doing that and running your offense through him. Now I think he's not good enough to be your primary offensive engine at this point. But he also can't really play a secondary or tertiary offensive role very well because of the fact that he needs the ball in his hands. And he adapted a little bit in Philadelphia around Joel Embiid. He started taking more catch-and-shoot threes. He started moving a little bit without the basketball. But I think it's just a tough fit with guys like this. Russell Westbrook ran into the same issue to an even greater degree late in his career where it's just like, these guys who need the ball in their hands, once they stop being efficient enough and dynamic enough with the ball, it becomes really hard to fit them around superstar players because of the fact that you kind of have to cater to them or not get the most out of them. And that's, you're choosing between those two things. And either way, you're not maximizing the entire team. So I, I actually tend to agree with you that at this point, if I'm an NBA GM, I, I don't know that I'd want to be in the James Harden business. I think, again, this is where a team like the Clippers makes sense just because it feels like they need to make a last-ditch effort to preserve their effort of of winning a championship around Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, and they've just invested so much in that team, and and they're so far down this rabbit hole with those guys and this roster that you know, maybe it's like, listen, the the option is either blow it up or get James Harden, let's try James Harden and see if it works. But beyond that, there aren't a lot of teams in the NBA that I look at and say, yeah, he's going to elevate them. I mean, Philadelphia would have been the team, and we saw how that ended up.
2: Last question for you, Ben. Um, obviously, there were some championship pedigree coaches that were let go in this offseason, the Nick Nurses and Mike Boonholzer and Doc Rivers. Is there a guy or two that you look at that you think maybe moves into the hot seat that maybe is one of the you know higher-level coaches? I'm not talking about somebody who you think is – you know, maybe, you know, the the Bullets coach or something like that. I'm talking about somebody who's at a higher level. Do you think that there's a guy that is on the radar that could be let go if things don't go right this season? Yeah, that's an interesting
0: question. I'm I'm trying to rack my brain a little bit. I mean, no, I'm not, I, I don't think there is. I, I think Mike Budenholzer would have been the one and he's already been let go. I think a lot of these guys have already uh, been relieved of their duties, you know, so it, it's hard to tell at this point I I guess Taylor Jenkins is maybe a guy in Memphis that I could see, you know, just because Memphis has yet to get over the hump. I think Taylor Jenkins is a really good coach. I I would try to keep him if I were Memphis. But I could see a situation there if they flame out again in the first or second round um, and they don't have the kind of season that I think their number two seed last year would indicate the quality of team they are, I could see him maybe being the fall guy there and and then just deciding, hey, we need a cultural reset here. We need someone else to come in. And, and revamp this thing. Teron Lou maybe could be a candidate with the Clippers as well. If it, same situation, if they disappoint this year, I could see um, I could see him being kind of pointed at as the fall guy. But again, other than that, it's like Milwaukee changed coaches this off season. Phoenix changed coaches. Um, you know, a lot of these teams, uh, Philadelphia have have already made their coaching decisions. And so when you look around the league, there aren't a lot of teams, or there are, there aren't a lot of coaches that you feel like are on the back end of their tenures at this point, at least on teams that really matter to the championship picture. But I guess if I had to identify, two, it might be Jenkins in uh, in Memphis and then Lou in, in Los Angeles.
2: Ben Ladner, he's a basketball writer for Fansided.com and join me on the waitfor.com hotline. Follow him on his personal Twitter page, at bladner underscore. Ben, as always, buddy, appreciate a few minutes in Atlanta this evening. We thank you so much, and we'll chat again soon. Absolutely, John. Thanks for having me. You got it, John Chuck. We will be back. Sports Radio 99 The Game, Odyssey.com app.
1: We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof?